I went to Washington and Lee University down in Lexington, Virginia, where Robert E. Lee had been president of the school after the Civil War. One of the things that General Lee was reported to have said was, do your duty in all things. You cannot do more. You should never wish to do less. It was something of a campus motto. Unfortunately, General Lee actually never said it. It came from a forged letter that was attributed to him. But later, when I was discerning the priesthood and my decision to enter the seminary, I often thought of that quote. The reason was because I was struck by two things that I encountered in the discernment process. One was the sense that the church and many priests and lay people that I talked to who were enthusiastic about promoting vocations were eager to tell me that becoming a priest was an awesome thing to do, that I should be happy to make a gift of my life to the church and to take up the challenge of being one of Christ's ministers on earth. The other sense that I got, often from the same people, was that a vocation is a call from God. That's exactly what a vocation means, from the Latin vocare, to call. To have a vocation to the priesthood, or to anything else, means that God is calling you to take up a specific mission with your life. It's not just a wonderful option, it's the very purpose for which he created you. How could you do anything else and expect to be happy and to live a grace-filled life? And so there was this weird interweaving of themes. On the one hand, becoming a priest as this supernatural gift of self for the sake of the gospel. But on the other, this sense that being a priest was simply doing what I was meant to do. And if so, why should doing that be treated as anything other than the simple fulfillment of my duty? That dilemma points us to the heart of a larger mystery in our Christian faith. That mystery is why we suffer. And people often ask that question, why does God allow suffering? We often hear that from people who claim not to believe in God. They will say, there is too much suffering in the world for me to believe that there is a God. But the more interesting question that this issue raises is, to what extent do we assume that God owes us any particular freedom from suffering? I mean, what's our baseline here? Suffering is an existential thing. Animals don't suffer. They feel pain. But because we are rational, suffering cause us, causes us to question the meaning of our own existence. We see this in Job's Lament. He says, is not man's life on earth a drudgery? My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. This lament is directed towards God. We get angry at God because we feel that we are missing something or that we have been deprived of something that we feel that we are entitled to. Yet we don't step back and recognize that our very existence itself is a gift, that our suffering is a sign of our reality. And it's from that reality that our lives, including our suffering, can take on meaning. Too often we are content to see the question of God, the question of faith, as something added to our lives, something that we can have or not have something that we believe might make our life better, 
but that the lack of it does not cause us to lose anything essential. Yet, if we understand the reality that God created us, and that God sustains us in every second of our existence, that we are nothing apart from his abiding grace, then we recognize that following God's will with our lives is not some extra gift or generous thing we do with our lives. It is simply ordinary obedience. But the wonderful thing is, is that God will meet ordinary obedience with extraordinary love. He will rejoice simply because we do what we are duty-bound to do already. It's like the prodigal son. The father celebrates because his son comes home to apologize for wasting his inheritance on dissolute living. Yesterday, we had the second grade CCD class doing their first confessions. And as I told many of the children in my confessional, congratulations on your first confession. God is so happy that you did this. When you think about it, how strange it is. We sin, and that's bad. And then we confess our sins. Okay, but that should be just par for the course. We should be happy that God is even willing to accept our contrition in the first place. That should be, that confession should be just getting our heads above water. But instead, for God, it is a moment of rejoicing. He meets our ordinary contrition, really, we should say, our obligatory contrition, with an outpouring of grace. That's why St. Paul can talk about his own duty as an apostle in his letter to the Corinthians. If I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast. For an obligation has been imposed upon me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. If I do so willingly, I have a recompense. But if unwillingly, then I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my recompense? God called Paul to be an apostle. He didn't ask him to be. An obligation was imposed upon him to preach the gospel to far distant peoples. Yet, this is also, paradoxically, a blessing in Paul's mind. God is willing to compensate us with grace and blessing just for doing our duty, just for doing what is expected of us, just for doing the things that, if we didn't do them, we would be damning ourselves to hell, because we would be turning away from the reality of God's love and from the thing that he created us to be. That's the paradox of his love. In the gospel, we see the burden of Jesus' earthly ministry. The whole town was gathered at the door of the place where he was staying. I know from experience that a few hours of hearing confessions can be tough. Imagine a whole day of driving out demons. And Jesus was human too. He was, I'm sure, mentally drained from getting up the next, when he got up the next day, and he just wanted some time alone to pray, to spend some time with his Father in heaven. But what does Jesus say when he hears that other people are seeking after him? He says, Let us go to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. We have no right to expect anything from God. Yet in his love, he makes it his duty to love us to keep true to his promises, even in the face of exhaustion.
Like St. Paul, he became a slave unto all, even unto the cross. His life had its meaning in suffering. As Christians, we are, in call, we are called to embrace this self-sacrifice in all things, of living for others. Not because we profit God, we know his words, we are his unprofitable servants, but because he loves us. And because if we only do what we are bound to do anyway, he blesses us all the more because his love for us overflows. All this we do for the sake of the gospel, that we too might have a share in it.